Psalm 139 is a wonderful uh, kind of introduction to what we're going to talk about today. And, and it's this relationship with God the Father with his creation. And we'll talk more about that. If you pay attention to the news at all, I don't think you could have missed all the decisions the Supreme Court made this week. But I think one decision has taken the spotlight, and that is the decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. Before I discuss uh, this, um, how we, we should view this, I think, as believers, I want to preface my discussion with a word of grace and mercy. In a room this size, I'm sure that there are people who have been personally touched by abortion. Whether you've had one or your friend has had one or your sister has had one or you may have counseled someone to have one, I don't know your story, but I know our God. He has sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven for anything that we have done. The name of this church is Mercy Hill because we proclaim the grace and mercy of our King. Therefore, whatever your story, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we as a church also must proclaim the truth. The truth is that the church is the truth bearer in society. We need to view this topic biblically, and it is hard. We have been, this week we've been bombarded from all sides by views that are unbiblical. Just um, turn off faith, or turn on, or you know, go into Facebook, and you can see just we've we've been amazed at just what people are willing to say uh, on a public forum like that, and and surprised by some of the some of the opinions. Um, you know, two weeks ago when I had the opportunity to, to preach, I introduced the whole idea of viewing everything in the world through the lens of the Bible, and that's really what we. We want to do today as we as we look at this topic. So bear with me as we as we kind of consider what's going on in society and try to gain a biblical perspective on this. And I hope this will uh, be a comfort, but also be a time of instruction and challenge. Roe versus Wade, January 26, 1973, overturned June 24th, 2022. I can tell you. Uh, I remember as a young believer not even understanding what abortion was. My, my brother, who's a, a pastor, he came home and said, this is going to be the defining issue of our, of our generation. We were both 18, 20 years old, and I remember not even really understanding it. And then reaching a point in my life where I, I doubted, I had so much doubt, I thought that there's, there's no way this would ever be overturned in my lifetime. Something monumental will have to happen. So, but here we are. What does it mean, and how are we to think about it? Um, I, I, I took the liberty here, because I'm a, I'm a, a professor, uh, to, to look at, the, at the, what, what the court said, because I think it's important for us as a church, and I'll explain why. This is from Justice Samuel Alito's writing for the majority. And he, he, talks, he, he gives instruction, he, uh, or he gives some information there, where he talks about before Roe v. Wade, most, a majority of states had already either banned it or uh, had, had put uh, many prohibitions on abortion. He said not only was there no support for such a constitutional right until shortly before Roe, but abortion had long been a crime in every single state. Um, he goes on to say that, you know, that uh, by the time of the adoption of the 14th Amendment, three-quarters of the states had made abortion a crime at any stage of pregnancy, and then the remaining states would soon follow. So he gives a historical kind of background about the, the topic of abortion. Then he goes on to say this. He said, our opinion is not based on any view about if and when prenatal life 
is entitled to any of the rights enjoyed after birth. The dissent, and he's talking about those that would oppose this overturning, and, and they wrote their, their dissent, by contrast, would impose on the people a particular theory about when the rights of personhood begin. According to the dissent, the Constitution requires the states to regard a fetus as lacking even the most basic human right to live, or at least until an arbitrary point in a pregnancy has passed. Nothing in the Constitution or in our nation's legal traditions authorizes the court to adopt that theory of life. That theory of life. And so, um, you know, we're going to talk later on to the, today about, you know, what can the church offer our society? Well, we could offer a, a theory of life. And I hope that uh, someday that our... Um, um, it, that, that theory of life would permeate all. But what he's saying here is that um, the Constitution doesn't, uh, is not allowed to say that when a person is a, uh, when a, a fetus is a person or not. Therefore, the, the Constitution, the Roe v. Wade, is illegitimate in the way it's written. And they said this we therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. It was interesting as we were watching the news this morning how uh, so much misunderstanding what the, what the overturning of Roe v. Wade did. It did not uh, say that abortion was legal. What it said was that the federal government is not going to regulate anymore. It goes back to the states, and each state can have their own uh, public policy regarding abortion. So in some ways, uh, some would consider it a win, and some would say we just push the, the, the situation down the road, and we'll see what happens in the future. But as you notice, there's lots of opposing views out there. How are we to look at this? And, I, and, and today, what I want to do is focus on how I think we should look at this as believers. As Christians, how should we look at this issue that's facing our society today. So you can see that uh, there's two views. One was, is personified in this picture, my body, my choice. That, that uh, the, the choice view is that we should have the freedom to do with our, uh, our bodies as we see fit. That uh, it's my body, I can make the decisions related to that. Uh, we can see that... Uh, the, uh, yeah, I just pulled this out of yesterday's news on CNN, and you can see that uh, uh, there's lots of, of people very upset about the ruling. Um, one high school senior said she's going to make her choice of where to go to school based on where there's abortion rights. The Department of Homeland Security has warned against violent demonstrations, which we saw overnight last night. Uh, media giants, including Disney, reaffirmed financial support for those who see, uh, seeking abortions. Um, and finally, it shouldn't be up for a debate uh, period, Kirk said. This is, I don't know who Kirk is. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand why people would care so much about what women, other women do with their bodies. So there's, there's a very strong reaction to what we see in the courts. The pro-life position is different. And I, I pulled this from uh, Scott Kusendorf's 10 Things You Should Know About Abortion because the, um, the, the pro-life view is very simple. Uh, the case is uh, summarized in the following syllogism. If you're, uh, I wish John was here. John is a, a philosopher by trade before he became a pastor. Um, premise one, it is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Premise two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion is wrong. Very simple message 
for those who, who, who see abortion not as a, a personal right or as, a, as a, uh, uh, something that we should do with our own bodies, but it's something uh, much bigger and much different than that. You can see here in the pictures, abortion is health care. Certainly one view on this, on this idea. This is a couple, uh, here you can see they have a March for Life t-shirt on. I read their story. When they were teens, um, she got pregnant and then she had an abortion. They spent the most of their, 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 their married life now fighting against uh, uh, abortion and be part of the right, the right to Life movement. And they have a, a tremendous story of how God has worked in their lives. You can see here, this is in Denver, the protest yesterday, uh, people feel very strongly about this. And, and, and it's, it's easy to understand why that's the case. But what I want to do is, is I want to take the, the next few minutes and lay a groundwork that helps us to how, do, how should we think through issues like this and, and, and how, um, even though it's a public policy issue, it certainly matters to God. And I think that we... Uh, I want to, to provide some ideas and some instruction on how we can think through this as we move forward. I entitled today's uh, sermonette, I should say, rather than sermon, uh, Back to the Future, Why Creation Still Matters Today. We're going to go back so that we can understand what the world should look like in the future. So look, uh, we... Uh, Leslie read from, uh, to us from one th Psalm 139. I'm not going to read it all to you. There's a couple of uh, passages I want to read because as, as, we were, as, we were, as we were, I was reflecting on Psalm 139, what's amazing to me is this relationship of our creator God uh, in heaven with his creation, this intimate relationship. And I think it has a lot to do with what we talk about today. So as we read parts of, one, seven, of Psalm 139, focus on the relationship between the Lord and his creation. From verse 1 and 2. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. In verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? First point as we read 139 is that we are never alone. That God is intimately involved in our lives. Uh, as our creator, he is ever present. He's, he's intricately and intimately involved with our lives. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For you formed my inward, par inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so what the psalmist is saying to God is you, you, you formed me before I was even I was born in this world. Um, God has a perfect knowledge of us, Matthew Henry wrote, and all our thoughts and actions are open before him. Being intimately known by our sovereign gods means we are not hidden, nor should we feel compelled or convinced by guilt or shame to hide from him anyway. God knows us. He knew us in the womb. He knew us and he created us. So nothing that, nothing, we are not a surprise to him. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your work. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Wonderfully means to be distinct, marked out, to be separated, to be distinguished. We we aren't made wonderful in the eyes of the world, but from the heart of God to bring glory 
to his name. The psalmist says that, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And each one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a purpose for each one of us. It's a distinct purpose to bring glory to his name. This is the Psalm 139 is a, is a, is a great uh, testament to life and the purpose of life. Finally, verse 16, I just want to point it out. Uh, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God, even before we, we, were, we were formed, he had... Uh, he purpose for what we were doing. John Piper says this, God's sovereign control is complete, not partial. It's complete and pervasive. Nothing in the universe is random without divine design and purpose. So when, when the psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your books were written every one of them, the days that you formed for me, God had purpose for us even before we were born. That's exciting that we serve that, that type of God who is a God of design and purpose for our lives. So what I want to do is I'm going to focus in today on uh, what we call the, crea the, the creator-creature distinction. The creator-creature distinction. And this is, this, is, this is a simple truth, but, but I, I feel like sometimes we, we, uh, we forget about it. We forget kind of what, what, what uh, we learned through it. And with the creator-creature distinction is not something that I made up. It's, it's been taught for, for many, many years. Uh, but what it does is it, help us to, it helps us to make sense of the world around us. And I'll explain that in detail as we move forward. So if you look at this, at this picture, you can see this is a very simplified picture. But this, if you only get anything that I've talked about today, get this, because this explains so much. You can see we have the circle, the big God, our creator. And we'll, talk, we'll, we'll read some of the scriptures here in just a minute. This God is infinite, omniscient, and independent. Meaning God doesn't need us for his existence. God is independent from his creation. And God's revelation flows downward that everything we know about life flows downward from God. And then we get to man. We are, we are God's creation. So we are not the creator, but we're the creature. We're finite. And most of all, we're dependent. We depend on God, not only for our very existence. God is our, our sustainer. We need God to, for our existence. But also, how to look at the world around us, we get that, we understand that because of what God has told us. This creature, the, the creator-creature distinction, that there's this, there's this separation between us and God, that we are different than God. We are the create, creation, we are not the creator. So everything we're going to talk about this morning revolves around what you see in this picture on the, on the screen. It's very simple, but yet we have a hard time uh, sometimes putting it into practice in our lives. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where we get this idea of, of the, the creator and the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Nicene Creed says this, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
of all things visible and invisible. So we serve the creator of the universe who created all things. All things. Not only the physical earth, but everyone who lives in it. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Again, Scripture is telling us of God's... Uh, not only is He creator, but He has purpose in our creation. Genesis 1.27, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Creator, creature. In that distinction. Psalm 24.1 is one of my favorite scriptures. Is uh, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord's and the world and all those who dwell in it. Everything is God's. Everything is God's because he's the creator and we are the creation. Douglas Kelly who is a professor at Reform Seminary, or he was, he's, he's retired now, um, wrote a little piece called uh, The Creator and the Creature. And he says this, Throughout Scripture, certain qualities or attributes are ascribed to God and God alone, including eternity, infinity, omnipotence, and supreme intelligence, which attributes include all-encompassing plan that he alone is able to carry out. But at the very beginning of human history, Satan tempted our first parents to think that by disobeying God's clear command, they themselves could become gods and decide for themselves what is good and evil. Fallen human beings ever since have sought to elevate themselves to the divine heights by denying both God's creative authority over them and his word to them in hopes of setting up their own independent program of good and evil. He goes on, this generally works by means of shifting the divine attributes to the, cre- to the created order, as Roman one's gra- Romans 1 graphically shows. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what Douglas Kelly is reminding us of here is the story of the Bible where we, uh, we the creation, decided that we wanted to to rule and reign over our own lives, that we wanted to do our own thing, that we wanted to decide what was good and right and what was, what was evil in our own minds. And, they, and he, he points to, or to Romans 1 where he talks about we, we serve the creature rather than the creator. That's the lie that the enemy we read about in Genesis 3. This, this, this substitution of the, where the creation decides we are going to determine what is right and wrong. But remember, this creation, the creator-creature distinction doesn't allow us as believers to do that because we know that all, that not only has God our creator, all revelation, what is right and wrong flows downward from God. And so it's a perversion when we begin to, to insert ourselves and say, I will determine what is evil. I will determine what is right and wrong. I used this uh, two weeks ago. This is Francis Schaeffer's book, How Should We Then Live? And, I, and I, he says something in there that I think it's very important as we, as we consider uh, Roe v. Wade. And, and in this, the, let me uh, just read the quote to you. The ironic fact here is that humanism, which began with, man, with man's being central, eventually had no real meaning for people. 
On the other hand, if one begins with the Bible's position that man is created by God and in the image of God, there is a basis for that person's dignity. And I think this is something that, that the whole abortion debate brings, makes clear, that when we, we devalue life, we lose our dignity. Dignity comes because we are special, that God created us in a certain way, that we are unique, and there's purpose in our lives. So uh, if we throw out God in this whole discussion, man loses his purpose. He loses his dignity. And that's what Schaefer was arguing 45 years ago, that, that uh, when, we, when we take our eyes off of God and put it on humans and make human the basis, humans the basis for our decision-making, what we do is we devalue life and we lose our, our dignity. Cornelius Van Til, who is probably the greatest orator on uh, the creator-creature distinction, says this, and it's a little long, but just stay with me because you, you'll be able to see his idea very clearly. He said, this is uh, quoting uh, Van Til, he said, in short, our pastor noted that Calvin with Augustine would think of God as one who, who as, would think of God as one thinks of the sun. All other lights in this world are derived from the sun. One does not first think of other lights as though they shone in their own power in order that after, in order after that to investigate open-mindedly whether the sun exists. So one cannot first think of the facts of the universe and especially the mind of men as though they were possibly not God-dependent but self-sufficient as so many self-powered light bulbs in order then to inquire whether God exists. One just, does, one just does not look at light bulbs to find the sun. Knowledge of the sun must precede and be the foundation of light bulbs. So one does not look at creation to find a creator, but rather is the latter is the foundation of the former. Therefore, true knowledge of creation demands a true knowledge of the creator. So if we're going to understand this this uh, public policy, what we call, we call Roe versus Wade, we really need to understand it by understanding first the creator. And that's where the knowledge comes from. Continuing on, he says, all the facts of the universe are, are of necessity God-created, God-dependent facts. Therefore men, ought to, therefore, men ought to see that God is man's creator and his judge. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Romans 1.20. All the necessary facts of the universe are God-created and God-dependent. So if we're going to understand Roe v. Wade, we have to start with God and then work from there. We can't start with man. So some implications of this, this, this God as creator, this creator-creature distinction. Uh, one is that, man, we're totally dependent on God. We're not self-dependent. We are dependent. We're not independent. We're dependent. We depend on God. That we will never be God, even though uh, that was the lie in Genesis 3 where uh, the, 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 the first family was uh, deceived into thinking, you can be like God. We'll never be God. Man, is, we are totally accountable to God for what we do with what, how he's created us. Knowledge flows downward from God. 
this creator-creature distinction. Revelation comes from, starts with God, as Van Til said, and flows downward. Man's authority is limited and delegated. That we have, we have limited authority. We don't have all authority that's reserved for God. And that man cannot save themselves. So none of these are, are probably unique to you, but sometimes it's good for us to review what is this creature, this creator-creature distinction, what does it mean for us in our lives? So I sat down in my office yesterday and I created this little diagram. So bear with me. I apologize for being a bad artist. The problem we run into in life is that we as human beings, we focus on problems by looking first at mankind, at humans. So you can see this person in this chart is, uh, has said, you know, we're not going to think about the creator God and what, and what God, the revelation from God. I'm going I'm to try to take a position by looking at man. That's what we, it, the, the, the human is the most important uh, actor here and not God. And that's, what, that's the trap that we tend to fall into. Is we say that we're going to look at man first, what's best for man in my mind, not what's best for man from the mind of God, our creator. But I think the biblical position is this, is what you see now, that, the, that rather than looking at society and saying, this is what I think's best, is that we look to God, the creator God, and, and, and say, okay, what does God think? What, uh, what is, is, uh, what's God's perspective? What's the revelation that God has given us? What's the revelation God has given us? So it's a, it's a different way. Rather than you, if when we start with man, we run into problems. What we have to do is start with God. He's our creator. Man is just a creation. God is the creator, and revelation flows downward from God. So if, so if we take away anything from this morning, it's this creator-creature distinction that, that, that we have the creator who created us for a purpose, and we are not to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, but we look, when it comes to public policy even, even what does God think about what we're doing? So we need to learn to think and live in accord with a biblical worldview. I, I said this two weeks ago. And really what we're talking about here is that, that on a daily basis we, we, we say, okay, what is, how does Scripture inform us? And from, that, from what we know, how does that change the way we live? So we learn to, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we do that by taking in God's word by and that's what the, the, the one of the values of church is to, to teach us what God is, is, is saying and so we need to understand the creator instead of starting with the creation this was uh, in on KBTX website yesterday and it says this this is uh, somebody they asked for public comment on Roe v Wade and this is what this Brian resident said it saddens me to see their uh, directly correlating this, this to God when there is strictly not supposed to be religion and politics and that, it just astounds me. Even our elected officials got on the news and the first thing they say is, we thank God and I'm just blown away. There's not supposed to be religion in politics. I think what this is is a, is a misunderstanding of the way God designed the world. I, I showed this chart a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, and really what this is trying to say is that, look, we have a creator God who created the individual, the family, the church, civil government. 
that, uh, that you know, what this, this resident of Brian was trying to say is we need to limit God's influence to just the church. If we're going to talk about God, it should be just the church. But really, that's not the, that's not the message of Scripture at all. This, this creator is, you know, we know him, uh, is the creator of the civil government, the church, the family, and even us as individuals. God rules and reigns over everything. Genesis 1-1, Psalm 24-1 there. Uh, I've uh, put it in yellow. Uh, And you can under the church. I love 1 Timothy 3-15. I'll show you. It says, um, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the, and he's talking about uh, the household of God here, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Another version says, a pillar of, and foundation, or a pillar and banner of truth. So what's the truth according to Timothy here? The, the church is, uh, a, expo- or, uh, is the, uh, it's the pillar of truth in society. So that's why when uh, the, the resident says, you know, what, what does the church or what does religion have to do with politics? Well, it has everything to do with politics, Okay. And I'm not saying that the church, in fact, we could spend hours talking about that the church should, should be over politics, but no, the church informs politics. The church informs politics. And that's what uh, I think it's important for our society, is that we have a worldview and we have truth to give to the world around us. So how do we walk as Christians uh, and as a church in the midst of this conflict? George Grant, who was a, a pastor, I first became acquainted with him back in the, in the 70s he, as his church in Humble, Texas would uh, uh, minister the people under the bridge and on, on Highway 59 going into Houston. And, and, and they, they operated a, a crisis pregnancy center. He says this in, in his article, After Row, what, What's Our Job Now? And in fact, if you read Table Talk, I think in May, this article was in Table Talk. He goes on, he he talks about, in his first part of his article, that this this idea of abortion is nothing new. This has been going on for, for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, okay? He said, it's no wonder then that abortion, infanticide, exposure, and abandonment have always been a common part of fallen human relations. Since the fall, men have contrived ingenious diversions to satisfy their depraved passions. He said the primary conflict in in temporal history always always has been and always will be the struggle for life by the church against the natural inclinations of men everywhere. This was the case long before Roe, and it will be long after for as long as the Lord tarries. He's saying this battle that we're fighting, it's nothing new, and it's not going to change anytime soon if if Lord tarries. So after Roe, what is our job now? And I think he did a good job here. Think about what he's saying here. Our job is not done. It is the same as always. We must be gospel advocates of all that is right, good, and true. We must care for the poor, the hurting, and the marginalized. We must speak the truth in love. We must remind our magistrates of their responsibilities. We must disciple. We must be unflinching in the proclamation of the good news, which changes everything. Our intercessions and labors must be unceasing. That's what we need to be about 
now that we've, we think about Roe v. Wade. Our local crisis pregnancy centers need our support like never before. Our pulpits need to ring out with practical, pastoral, and prophetic urgency like never before. Prayer and faithfulness is always the right thing. We're going to finish with this. Uh, why should we celebrate the Dobbs decision? This is an article uh, by Chelsea Sobolik. And she says this, the Dobbs decision marks the drawing of a new pro-life movement, and we ought to rightly celebrate it for what it is, the opportunity for thousands of pre-born babies to have the most fundamental human right, the right to live. We should pause and praise God for his sovereignty and mercy in this decision. Because, of the faith, because the faithful have been quietly serving for years, many of us will never know their names, but eternity will know their influence. For the past 50 years, when, since Roe v. Wade became uh, part of the, our landscape, millions of believers have prayed uh, for something to happen. They're faithful people. They have served in crisis pregnancy centers. They have, they have uh, uh, counseled those who were then doing crisis pregnancies. They've been there for them, and, and those are faithful people. Christians, Christians' dedication and commitment to the preborn and their families is firmly rooted in Scripture. All people are created in God's image, and a person's usefulness or ability to contribute to society shouldn't determine their worth or right to life. The pro-life movement is working towards a society in which the innate worth of every life, both preborn and born, is respected. My, this picture up there is, uh, when, oh, there it is. Um, this is a book that my brother wrote. My brother's Trey Kent, and Kai Bowman is the pastor of Hyde Park Baptist in Austin. And, and I, I point this out because it, what the article was talking about is that my brother, when he became a pastor, he realized that, that Austin was, was, at that time, the most unchurched city, uh, certainly in Texas, and one of the most unchurched cities in America. So he got the pastors together to begin to pray. And uh, what's now known as the unceasing prayer movement, um, he said, you know, we've been praying daily, literally daily, where each church takes a 24-hour period and, they, and, they, and so for 14 years, the city of Austin has, has been praying, been prayed for daily. And he said this, he said, here's some of the points we've been praying. Pray for life to be valued and protected through all stages beginning at conception. Pray for God to break the culture of death in America and restore a culture of life. We believe all life is God's gift. The unborn, the elderly, and the ill have purpose and value. Let us pray that a culture of life will be forged across America and, and the world now that Roe is overturned. So I think, what can we do now? There's so many things we can do to be, maintain our faithfulness and continue to pray for our world around us. So to understand this issue from a biblical perspective, we must go back to the creation where God said that man is created in the image of God. So as you think about this creator-creature distinction, and we think about difficult issues that we face in the world, we start with God. We don't start with man. Starting with man distorts our view of what God is trying to do, the revelation that comes from God. I remember, and I'll close with this story, I, um, I ran for Congress a couple years ago when we came back from Korea, and I remember in a, in a public forum they asked me, they said, I want everybody to go across, there were 11 candidates, and they said, uh, what's your view on abortion? And you know, I, it's funny, I had talked about, I thought about taxes, I thought about all these things, and I was sitting there, and I thought, you know, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is what I said. 
and I believe it. I said, you know, if we believe that God is the creator of life, then we must oppose abortion. If we believe that God is the creator of life, we do not have the authority to take that life. And I, and I believe that. And I believe that's what scripture teaches. Uh, I hope that, that uh, you will take the time to think through this and that we, this is not a time for as, as, as pro-lifers to gloat. To, to, it's a time for, to, to get back on our knees and pray for not only our country, but pray for all those in America who were, there's not a culture of life and there's not uh, things there to help them. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Thank you that we can look to the creator of the universe for truth. Thank you that you gave, you gave us revelation, that revelation flows downward to us. Thank you, Lord, that we do not have to determine what is right and wrong on our own, but Lord, you've laid it out for us. Father, I pray for Mercy Hill Church and our people here today and those that aren't here, that Lord, we would catch a vision for how we can live our lives biblically in this world and how we can serve the world around us. And through that, people would come and be drawn to you. So Father, I pray that you would continue to work in our lives, that you would show us each individually. Father, we're, we, are, we have uh, not looked to you, but we've looked to man for truth. And Lord, cause us to, to turn our eyes back on you. In Jesus' name, amen.